This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 214. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. With the help of Squarespace, tackling your next move might not be as difficult as it seems. If you want to launch a photography portfolio, start a business, or do a creative project, Squarespace gives you the ability to create an online platform from which you can make your next big idea known to the world. And Squarespace's award-winning templates create a website for you that's beautiful and intuitive. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your purchase, plus a free domain. And we'd also like to ask everybody if you'd take a minute and go to podsurvey.com slash improve. It's a quick anonymous survey um, that you can take and it would really help us out to be able to continue having advertisers on the show to make this show free for everybody. And once you've completed the survey, you'll be entered to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash improve. Thank you for your help. Hey everybody and welcome back to the podcast. Today I am not here. I'm in Ireland this week uh, doing a free event with some of the followers of Improved Photography Plus. But if I have handed the reins over to very capable others and so I'll pass them over to you now. Alright guys, so this is Connor Hibbs. And I believe that Jim just told you that you were in capable hands this week while he was in Ireland. If not, then that's the situation that we're in. This week, I'm going to be joined by both Josh Corgan and Brent Berkham. How are you guys doing? Hey, pretty Great. good. Great, awesome. Well, um, this week is pretty exciting. We are, what, two weeks out before the Improved Photography Retreat. So we're going to just hop right into this. And before we talk about anything else, because we're all so excited to be down there for this awesome retreat, we're going to talk a little bit about the things that we're talking about and why we're discussing them. So, Josh, you're the one that kind of brought this up in the first place, and I'm going to hand it off to you first. What are you teaching and why? All right. Well, thanks, guys. Um, so I am a architectural photographer, primarily based in Charleston, South Carolina. I've been on the podcast a couple times in the past, but it's been a little while. Um, I specialize in architectural or real estate photography. I call it luxury real estate photography. Um, I also have an aerial photography business and a stock photography service that specializes really in local Charleston area stock photography for companies there. Um, so I thought because the bread and butter of what I do on a day in and day out basis is uh, I try to do high end real estate photography. So I try to use some of the techniques that you'll see that you know, people use for interior design photography or architectural photography and, and try to dumb it down a little bit um, and use it in an application where I'm shooting maybe 45 pictures in a, in a house instead of five pictures in a house. So in other words, it's a lot of post-processing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, you know, oh, but oh, through time, I've kind of developed a bit of a technique um, and a lot of it has to do with um, the few main major points that I'm going to be discussing at the conference concerning architectural or real estate photography. So the first one is composition. And, and as you guys know, no matter what part of photography you're working in, composition is, is incredibly important. And as we're in a home or um, uh, in uh, an architectural photography environment, you're always trying to figure out how to set the camera up in relationship to the furniture or whatever you're, you're photographing in a way that 
causes the eye to move throughout it. it. It tells a bit of a story about the space. So that's the challenge. And it's something that I still work on every day, every day. And it's really the hardest part of architectural photography, in my view. You know, I, I actually kind of have a question about that. So when you're photographing these luxury homes, if people have moved out of them, are you working hand in hand with people that are staging the houses to make it look better for photography? Or are you just kind of going in there, moving things around as you need to? It, it varies dramatically. That's a great question. Uh, sometimes, for the most part, I'm working in homes that either already have the uh, occupants still in there trying to sell their home. Um, if they're not there, then I frequently do work with a few interior designers I have a working relationship with that I will um, sort of subcontract for some of the photo shoots that I do. So if there's a big empty home, they need someone to bring in both furniture or day of things like flowers or a glass of wine or something to kind of make it feel like yeah. a home. Um, I have some interior design firms based in Charleston and, the, and the other places in the Southeast that I contract with uh, to help me stage them because that's incredibly important, especially when you're talking about some of these really high-end homes that I like to photograph. Totally. Yeah. I've seen some of the images that you've posted recently. and Well, I guess it was a month or two ago that I was looking at them, but I, I wish that I could shoot interiors in the way that you do. So that's something that if I can find the time to during the conference, I want to go and sit in and maybe learn some tricks. Sure. We'd love to have you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, awesome. So the other things I was going to talk about, and I'll mention these kind of in brief. The first one was the lighting techniques. You know, with real estate photography and the most basic level, people often do what we call an HDR technique, you know, just kind of exposure blending everything from the high end of using a photomatics product and doing tone mapping all the way to just the most simple thing, which is just taking a couple of exposures and blending them really easily. Uh, there are problems with that you find often. Um, there's only so far you can go with a file, even with a, a great camera, you know, um, the, the 5D Mark IV or things that have even better dynamic range than that. You still run into blooming around the windows and things are just impossible to get away with um, if you don't actually use some additional lighting. So I love to use multiple different lights uh, in different ways. And I will just be discussing the effective ways to use lighting at the conference. Um, and then uh, the last thing I really want to discuss is these twilight photos. You've often seen these exterior photos of homes where they're kind of lit up in certain ways. They'll often have what looks like $10,000 of landscape lighting that doesn't actually exist. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it, but it's, you know, a way to really show off a home in its context, especially at a beautiful time of day at the blue hour. Um, and it gets me a chance to exercise a bit of my landscape photography um, thing. You know, I love, I love landscape photography. So it lets me do that a little bit too. Um, so it's, but it's not easy. Uh, it can do a lot wrong when you're trying to light the exterior of a home with artificial flash. And so I go through some techniques to try to be as effective as possible when you're doing that, be tasteful, uh, but show the property in its best light. So that's the kind of final topic I'll, I'll be discussing. That's that's super cool. Like so. So when you're talking about doing these external lighting and just lighting in general, are you using constant lights more or is it like flash based stuff that you're doing? I almost entirely use flash based lighting. Uh, there are okay. some exceptions. I, I don't often use regular speed lights anymore. I find that they're somewhat limited, especially in a larger space. And rather than carry around three or four speed lights, I carry um, an N flash, the nice photo N flash, oh, which sweet. is, you know, it's a little heavy. It looks like a megaphone. No one has any idea what it's for. <laughs> 
but it does a great job. It has, I think it's like 700 watt seconds. It's, it's, it's really powerful. Um, yeah, totally. And then I also use, I'll say this, there is one constant light that I use and it's the Lowell GL one. Um, and some people use it for portrait photography, wedding photography. Um, it has a nice kind of, uh, CTO kind of slightly tungsten colored light that comes out of it. It's adjustable. It looks like a power drill. Um, and I found that if you wave it around in the wrong powder town at night, it can look a little bit like a gun. <laughs> so, okay. so, Not good. so be careful when you're doing a twilight in the, in certain parts of town with that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it creates a beautiful sort of natural warm light and it's a constant light, but I do recommend it. It's a, it's really good for pulling out wood tones and anything you want to show, uh, kind of a warmer light on. That's, that's awesome. So Brent, I know yes. that you have your hands full during this conference. Oh, yes, I do. You want to tell us a little bit about the things that you're going to be talking about while you're there? You bet. Thank you. I have a total of four presentations that I'm involved in. And okay. the first one is graphic design in photography. And I'm going through making that presentation now. And I actually did a dry run last night and I was just like, oh my goodness, I need to pare it down a little bit because <laughs> I've got just so much content to, to cram into that 45 minute session. Uh, but I think it's going to go really well. Uh, my main point that I'm trying to look at with this is photographers, uh, so oftentimes, especially when you're just beginning photographer, maybe when you've got a little bit of experience on your belt and you probably feel a little bit frustrated, uh, mostly probably frustrated about all the rules in photography because yeah. you've been told this rule, you've been told that rule and you might get frustrated by, um, you don't feel you're effectively breaking the rules and, and you want to feel comfortable in breaking the rules. So what I'm hoping to be able to accomplish with this is to give people a new um, a new set of uh, ways of describing their images and talking about their images and uh, allowing them to uh, find the meanings in their images beyond just those simple basic rules that uh, we always say, learn the rules and then break them, that kind of a thing. Uh, so we're going to look at things like uh, framing, uh, texture, uh, gestalt theory, color theory, all those kinds of things are, and that's just scratching the surface. Uh, but we're going to be diving deep as we can in 45 minutes. So that's, that's kind of the danger I have is, is the, uh, <laughs> the 45 minute time frame. I then have simple composites for impact where I'm just going to go through a couple of uh, Photoshop techniques uh, that I use very lighthearted uh, with relations to how much Photoshop you do, but going for something that really provides some good impact. And I'm also looking to bring in a little bit of the, um, beyond the image type thing. So incorporating some text and, and making cards and whatnot in Photoshop too. I'm also doing a camera cleaning clinic. And so you can get your sensor cleaned and I'll teach you how to clean it and be hopefully uh, feel confident in cleaning your own sensor. And then we're doing a, a live recording of the new podcast Latitude. The, that is super exciting. Yes, the travel photography uh, podcast that I'm uh, co-hosting with Brian McGuckin. So very exciting about that. And so we'll, we'll be talking more about that in a little bit. So I'm not going to dive too much into it right now. <laughs> sounds, sounds great. Yeah. I kind of, man, pretty much every one of your presentations are ones that I really would love to get into if I weren't busy myself. <laughs> but I mean, especially that graphic design class, like ugh, it, it just sounds so cool. Yes. And I might, I'm very excited you... about that's the, probably the one I'm most excited about. I teach uh, graphic design at uh, a university, Walla Walla University. And so it's just something I think that uh, photographers are really going to be able to take advantage of. 
uh, being able to have some of those new ways of describing and new understandings really for, for images. I'm a, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it just sounds super cool. I come from a background of graphic design. Cool. That, I mean, I ended up hating it eventually Uh-oh. just not, not because like the design part really interests me and I yeah. love it, but yeah. clients can become a lot less pleasant. Yes. I mean, photography is much better because they see what you do ahead of time mm. and they either like you or they don't. And and yeah, doing doing graphic design, it was not that because people would never know what they wanted until after you had done all the work. And then they go, oh, you, I want something right. slightly different. Why'd you do that or whatever? <laughs> I hear you. And then, you know, I would love to go and sit in on the sensor cleaning class. But at the same time, I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to do that, thinking that I know what I will be learning and then find out that I'm just completely trashing my camera somehow. (laughs) Well, you know, I once saw Jim and in one of his videos crack an egg over his sensor and then clean it off afterwards. So um, I've never had the guts to do that or actually clean my own. So I'm really looking forward to going to that session because I would love to be able to do it myself. No egg cracking. I pro- absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not going to do oh, that. Man. Th- there was this one video that I saw that was just on the proper way to clean your camera. And this guy like has a bowl of water and s- squirts soap in it and like dunks oh, his camera in there. And I'm like, no, uh, like it was a joke. But then, of course, in the comment line, everybody's talking about like this didn't work. And now my camera's not <sighs> functioning properly. And you're like, Ugh. guys, no. <laughs> please think about your electronics before you dunk them in water. That's oh. not the smartest way to go. <laughs> well, for, for myself during the retreat, I'm going to be teaching two classes. Um, so I have multiple speaking times, I think for both of them, um, definitely for the second class. But the first one I'm going to be teaching is on how to achieve dramatic light with flashes and strobes. Um, so a lot of people tend to just use their flashes as like fill light and that can be good and fun and great and all. Um, but I, if you have seen any of my work, I tend to like to put a little bit of drama and make the lighting kind of the center of attention on my subject. Um, so the whole class is just going to be learning about different ways to shoot with a little bit more drama to get different kinds of mood and look from it. And then my second class is going to be kind of based off of my improved photography plus course, which is retouching like the pros. I know that I'm doing at least two or three of those sessions throughout the course of the whole retreat, because uh, it's one that we all felt like a lot of people were going to want to sit in on. And I don't want anybody to feel like they're going to miss something really important in order to see my class. So I asked if I could have a couple of time slots to be able to teach that. And Jim was more than happy to provide me with that. Um, so that's, that's everything that I'm doing. I'm, I'm really excited about some of the all night shoots. I'm not much of a landscape photographer, but man, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to try my best and hopefully it's going to turn out good. (laughs) I'll, I'll have some incredible photographers around me to teach me. And that's the time that I will get to be a little bit of a student. That's great. Oh, great. It'll be wonderful. Well, and I've l- contemplated uh, doing a double of that graphic design and photography as well, simply because um, it's it's so different. And a lot of people have been telling me, you know, that sounds really awesome. I wish I could uh, sit in on that. So, you know, if I end up dropping uh, one of them and doubling that, you know, I hope people will forgive me. Well, I know for a fact, at least the first one, I am going to be teaching a class at the same time. So I wouldn't be mad at you if you (laughs) added another time slot of that. So I could maybe come and sit in on that. Cool. Awesome. Well, for our next topic, it's something that I've kind of 
had a recent experience with. Um, I think I've talked on a few of the podcasts here and in Portrait Session about the fact that I've been shooting a little bit more film, not so much for work, but for pleasure. And recently I went on a cruise with my in-laws and my wife. And that was, I mean, it was a cruise. It was a wonderful, relaxing time. But at the same time, you're not exactly getting into ports at the best time of day to be able to shoot anything. But just in case I decided I was going to travel with film and um, I learned a few things in doing that. <laughs> For one, I will say that while larger airports definitely have enough requests of people coming through with film that they understand when you say, oh, I don't want this to be x-rayed, they'll usually grab it. it when I went through the Denver airport, they had no problem. In fact, one of the TSA guys was like, oh, you have film. That's awesome. What are you shooting on? And kind of. We talked for a second while the line was moving and he very graciously brought me up and got me moving through. And while they had to take some time swabbing every single roll of film, I didn't bring a ton with me. Um, So it it was a little bit of a hassle, but a reasonable amount. Then when I was in line for getting on the ship, they had an x-ray machine. And man, this lady was just staring daggers at me because I was like, "Um, I have film and I don't want it to go through the x-ray. And um, please. And she's like, nope, everything goes through. I went, no, but oh, seriously, that's like, terrible. Uh. It's not going through. Like, I will not let this happen. And she just deadpanned me and was like, no, like it is. And I, I seriously had to sit there for probably three or four minutes being like, no, 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 no. Please don't make me do this. And finally, they brought a supervisor over. He grabbed the film, didn't even check it and just brought it to the other side while I went through. But of course, the metal detector went off. So then I had to go back through and <laughs> like, she just made it so hard on me because clearly I had made her life miserable. That's so right. Yeah. Be prepared for those kinds of moments. If you go, um, the, the one thing that you will hear a lot from different kinds of security people is that if the, um, films ISO is under 1600, that it's safe to travel through an x-ray and something I will warn anybody wanting to travel with film is yes, that's, technically true but um x-rays actually have a cumulative effect on the film so you can go through once um with pretty much any film and be safe but since i wasn't exactly sure how many times i'd be going through i decided to be very dogged in fighting every single x-ray machine that came my way to make sure i didn't have to deal with it if at all possible um so the general rule that i've done some research to find is that for ISOs of 800, they can handle about one trip through. For 400, it's two. And then if you're down within the 100 range, it can handle a handful of times, and you probably don't actually have to worry about this. Now, Brent, yeah. you were talking with me a little bit beforehand about saying that you had some experiences oh, man. in traveling with some film. Yes. Want to tell me a little about that? Absolutely. I'd love to share. Uh, in 2002, so this was a significant time ago, uh, and right after 9-11, so security was going through the roof. Uh, I traveled to India and on that trip, I went through at least nine airports in India where each one was uh, scanning (laughs) and I was just getting so nervous. And, uh, I remember thinking, you know, on my way over there, cause I had at least a hundred rolls of film. Um, I remember thinking on my way over there now I'm going to just toss in like some 1600 because (laughs) I know the guy at the U.S. airport, he's going to point to the sign and just say, oh, it's okay. And then I'll be able to say, well, I've got some 16 or 3,200 in there and yeah. I don't know where it is. And I'm, you know, can you just do it all please? And that yeah. actually worked really well. So 
whether or not you need to use that to convince, you know, under heightened security type things, I, I felt I needed to have a little extra measure of um, making it happen, make sure it didn't get scanned. Uh, and I'm going to pause you right there for sure. a second, because that's actually a tip that I read about before mm-hmm. going on this trip. And something I learned is that most of the people in the airport don't even know what that means. Probably because not. I had on a number of occasions where they're like, is it under 1600? And you go, 1600 what? And they go, I don't know. And you go, yeah, totally. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you can't do it. Yeah. And no one looked at the thing that said 400 on the side and went, eh, this guy is lying. Yeah. So just, yeah. just a little side side awesome. note there. I awesome. did hear that is a good way to try and help avoid that. But not guarantee, of course, but maybe, yeah, maybe it can not. help. And then uh, some of those machines that it was going through, I tell you, I just got so nervous because, you know, in India, <laughs> while the official language is English, uh, there's still, I would call a, a language barrier uh, yeah. uh, of sorts. And it was just, uh, you know, I'm sitting there praying like, please, you know, just let this happen. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, but I'm, I'm mostly shooting 50 ISO slide film, uh, sometimes 100 ISO. So it was fine. Uh, except for those couple roles I didn't even care about, you know, yeah, those, those other just roles. Just for the sake of trying to help prevent. Yeah, an extra scan <laughs> when I could. So it all ended up fine. It was great. Uh, there was one thing, though. I did toss in a roll in my checked bag just because I was curious what would happen. Yeah. Totally ruins it. So de- definitely don't <laughs> do it in your checked bags. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. It, when When I was mentioning that you need to be prepared if you're traveling with film, you need to be prepared to deal with a bit of a hassle um a bit might be a little bit of an understatement because when i was on my leaving on my honeymoon um i made it through dia with no problems at all but we had a layover in san francisco and we had to switch terminals and in that airport you have to leave beyond security and go back through and in san francisco uh, you know they were happy to hand check it for me but they swabbed it and came back and said oh well you know there's chemicals on here so um and I'm like, that's well, terrible. yeah, it's it's film. What are you talking about? Of course, of course there are. it has chemicals. <laughs> so, of course, that resulted in me getting a very thorough pat down and having to literally unpack mm. everything that I was bringing carry on, which Ugh. was all of my cameras and everything in any piece of electronics. They had to swab all of the ports on all of the electronics. Yeah. So when when I'm traveling with two cameras and a laptop and it was it was not fun. And then, of course, as soon as they're done searching you, they're like, all right, we'll get out of here. And you're like but I have to pack my bag again. Right. What do you mean? I can't just move it along up and leave. So, you know, we landed with plenty of time to get a meal between flights and yada, yada. It ended up that we were like one of the last people on the airplane because of this. So when I say that if you're going to travel with film, be prepared to deal with a huge pain. I mean like a huge pain, like be ready for it. So my last tip there is just make sure that if you're going to do this, at this point, digital cameras are kind of the way to go oh, unless totally. you are really willing to deal with the hassle, which I was. I don't regret doing it, but it's definitely something something to think about beforehand. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we are going to be given a little break with Jim in which he's going to tell us a little bit about our sponsors for the week. 
Today's episode comes to you from Squarespace. If you've resolved to take on a new challenge like starting a business or changing careers or launching a creative project in 2017, be sure to lock down your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace is used by a wide range of people and businesses, including photographers, designers, artists, and restaurants. It allows you to create everything from a professional blog to a portfolio to sell your photography or whatever you can imagine on a website. You even get a unique domain to set your domain up part. You can start your free trial of Squarespace today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your purchase plus a free domain name. That's IMPROVE, I-M-P-R-O-V-E, for 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. And by Zenfolio. This episode of the Improved Photography Podcast is brought to you by Zenfolio, the professional and affordable all-in-one web solution. Jeff Harmon has been using Zenfolio for a long time, and what I love about Zenfolio is that it has all the photography tools built into it. I think that's its its main advantage is, you know, you want to, you know, create a website, it's intuitive, 24-hour customer support, password-guarded galleries, no problem. You want to watermark your photos, high-volume storage, uh, all the security tools, uh, all that kind of photography-centric stuff is really easy to, to put into Zenfolio because it's made for photographers. And now you can get 30% off any annual plan when you use code IMPROVE at Zenfolio.com. So don't wait, get started today and see the impact a Zenfolio website can make on your business. That's Z-E-N-F-O-L-I-O.com. Offer code IMPROVE for 30% off any annual plan. Build it beautiful with Zenfolio. Websites, proofing, selling. All right. Hopefully he handed it back off to me perfectly there. <laughs> we'll see how that went. <laughs> we'll see how that went. So, Brent, yeah. you have a little topic for us. Let's hear about this. I am so excited. It's it's even it's so cliche to say so excited, but I don't care. <laughs> Latitude, the travel photography podcast is coming out and Brian McGuckin and I are teaming up to co-host this new podcast and it all came about if I can give you just a tiny amount of history about it. Yes, uh, please. I learned, I heard, I listened to the, uh, the first episode, I think it was of 2017, the IP episode of 2017 where Brian was on and they were sharing their goals for 2017, uh, for the new year. And I was just like, you know, just mulling this idea over for a long time already. And I was just like, man, I just gotta, I just gotta do this. So I emailed Brian. I said, "Hey, what do you think?" And he's like, "I'm game." And I'm paraphrasing a whole lot here. And then I, <laughs> and then I emailed, uh, I emailed uh, Jim, and he he gave it the green light. So we've been uh, doing lots of behind the works uh, prepping. Uh, awesome. We're recording right now, presently on Thursday. Tomorrow, Friday, we're going to uh, record our first. Our plan is to record our first two episodes of the podcast and release those at the same time. And then uh, we'll be doing a third episode live in Phoenix down there at the retreat. Uh, very That's happy awesome. to be doing that as well. And the point of the podcast is just addressing pretty much if it has to do with travel and photography uh, related items, we want to talk about it and how it relates to people getting better pictures, getting into better situations, better locations, uh, whether it's research, just you know, interviews with other people that have been to those places. Uh, we hope to do that. 
And uh, certainly from our personal experiences, both of us are huge into travel photography as far as we just love it. I certainly wish I could do more of it, but there's certainly also a benefit to being a teacher. I have summers <laughs> off and um, I'm expected to do professional development and this fits. So it's wonderful. Uh, I'm just so excited to do this. So hope you guys will join us. We also have a Facebook group. So uh, hunt us down on Facebook and we will be making all the announcements everywhere uh, in the IP community uh, when that is finally released. We're looking for a release uh, initially um, for the first two episodes on Wednesday, March 1 is our hopeful release date. And awesome. uh, like I said, we'll be making those announcements on Facebook in other ways uh, when that happens. Super cool. Sounds great. So this Facebook group, is it kind of the same structure as all the other podcasts? Is it just yes. Latitude, yeah. the Travel Photography Podcast listeners? Yep. Just search for Latitude, the Travel Photography Podcast. I, we didn't put the word listeners in there, but I'm sure it'll still okay. come up with it. Uh, sure. We've had a couple of links um, in the other Facebook groups, so you should be able to find it if you're already a member of the other groups. But really just doing a search, you should find it. We've got, I think we're over 150. 20, 150 members somewhere in there already. So it's a pretty good sized group already, but you know, we will certainly want to make it as big as we can to uh, serve as many uh, travel photographers as we can. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah, right. So it is, is this show it's more from the sounds of it. It's more on the logistics side of everything. Is that correct? Or is it a little combination of, yeah, I want to, I'd like it to, um, I guess be known as really a combination of things are, we have received a lot of questions about logistics. And so I think that's what the first uh, several episodes will probably cover. But cool. in our planning documents, we've got a long list of photographers we'd like to interview. And so maybe they're special specialists in certain areas. And so we'd like to uh, interview them, but also doing some travelogue type reports. Uh, Brian just went to Rocky Mountain National Park. And I, I want to be able to, um, you know, celebrate that and have him talk, tell us about that. And then in June, I actually have a conference I'm going to in Miami. So I'm going to uh, at least get out for one evening, if not a couple evenings, and do some shooting there. So uh, we'll incorporate the podcast somehow in that respect as well. So it'll be a combination of things. That, that's awesome. I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to listening to this. And it's not just because it's on the same network. <laughs> I I have been getting a little bit of the wanderlust bug myself oh, recently. Yeah. And oh, I'll listen. I guess I'll totally be. I've been thinking about this ever since I first heard about it, you know, with a 10 month old at home and a very busy schedule, I'll be listening to this vicariously. I'll be thinking about oh, yeah. all these trips I could be taking and will be taking one day when my daughter can walk. There you go. Yeah. Well, Brian and I both have, uh, four children. So that's four wonderful anchors that do keep us home. But both of us also are, uh, vastly bitten by the travel bug and just love to get out there and shoot. So, Hopefully we can share some of that love with the with the listeners. I'll, I'll say I think that there's no problem with having an anchor at home, but oh, having definitely. just traveled with my beautiful niece, who is only nine months old. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> traveling with children at that age is <laughs> <laughs> I better not say anymore. Just it's in a case challenge. Somebody's it's listening. A challenge. I understand. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, finally, I'm going to move on to my final topic here, and that is shooting with ND filters when strobing portraits. Um, so it's something that I've been playing around with a lot for the last year, year and a half or so. And it, the reason that I became interested in this is because I was kind of wondering about ways that you could shoot with a very wide open aperture to get that 
narrow depth of field look while still using strobes or shooting in the middle of the day. And well, ND filters came up as a great option. The downside that I seemed to continuously face was that all of the ND filters that I had were constant ND filters that were ring type. So they would be stuck on my camera. And then for say a six stop ND filter, I just couldn't get focus when I was shooting portraits like with landscape you can kind of sit there and take your time and dial your focus in and get it working really well but when you're shooting portraits and especially with me I don't tend to shoot on a tripod so I'm moving around a lot and I needed something that was a little bit faster so my first jump was to trying to use a variable ND filter which worked to a degree because I could kind of open it up get my focus close it back down but the problem was there's there's not like a clicking mechanism with a variant variable ND. So there's no way for me to really tell for sure exactly where I was. So I kept on getting in the area, but it would take a little bit of pushing and pulling in post to get it looking just right. And then I last year I actually took a workshop with Joel Grimes. If you don't know who he is, um, you should look up Joel Grimes because he has some really amazing work that's composite work, but he's been doing a lot of the same kind of thing. And his technique was he actually modified a Koken style um, square filter mount where he just took off the, the ridges that hold the filters in and instead clipped the square filter with a piece of gaff tape on top of it so it could swing up, catch focus and bring it back down. So it's something that I wanted to suggest to anybody that's interested in doing this kind of portraiture where you have that shallow depth of field. It's something that as far as I've found i did some searching before this episode just to see if there's anybody that has come up with anything in the meantime and there isn't much there's one company that has kind of a magnet ring for a circular type and nd filter or any kind of filter but i think it was like 45 dollars for a magnet for a ring <laughs> and i'm like i don't know if that's really worth it a tape hinge is very cheap compared to that yes <laughs> yes and even even with gaff tape which is notoriously expensive for being tape <laughs> but yeah tape hinge it you know it might not look the most professional but at the same time when you're coming away with the results that you can with this i, I don't think it matters too much Personally, now, what kind of strobes are you using with these? You're just doing regular uh, speed lights or do you have studio type strobes that you're bringing out to do this or what are you doing? Um, it really depends on how far I'm traveling with mm. them. I, I am a studio strobe shooter yeah. through and through if I'm able to. Sure. Um, because, I mean, they're heavy as is. But then, of course, I like to make it even harder on myself and shoot with C stands, which are just, I mean, a thousand pounds <laughs> for one of them already. <laughs> So, so if I'm walking less than a mile, oh yeah, I'm bringing my studio strobes. If I'm okay. doing a hike around, then speed lights it is. But and you have a battery pack for it to power those studio strobes. Y yes, I do. Yeah. I have. I have. All right. And you know what I just found today? What my charging cord for my battery pack for my studio strobes has <laughs> <laughs> been missing for at least two years. And I was like, <laughs> where? I was so happy. <laughs> See, I. I as big and chunky as my battery is, I actually have a tendency. I have a uh, one battery pack that has, you know, the plugs and everything on it. And then I have a replacement battery that you remove. And this thing is like a book. Yeah. And yet somehow I find ways to lose mine. Um, so I, I'm always ending up being in a rush where I'm, I need to go somewhere and I go like, oh, but I I don't know where my other battery is. Yeah. I only have one. So then yeah. I get it, get there and I try and turn down my light as low as possible just to conserve as much energy as I possibly can. But it's something that I, I 
it's a lot of hassle that I don't know why I am totally okay with doing that versus just putting a couple of speed lights on instead. But mm -hmm. I just love the control that I have with my studio strobe sure. setup. So, so that's, that's the way that I'm shooting that's awesome. with yeah. variable or not variable, but ND filters doing portraiture. It's really cool. Awesome. So, Every week, we like to bring you our special doodads of the week, and this week is not going to be any different just because Jim is away. So first, I'm going to throw it to Brent and see what you have for your doodad. What do you have, Brent? I have a Wi-Fi hotspot from Novatel Wireless. It's called the MiFi, and it connects to your 4G network. And I okay. purchased this thing a little over a year ago, and I just looked up the price now, and I just cannot believe how much it's dropped in price. But I purchased it from a company called Freedom Pop. And the thing I okay. like about Freedom Pop is they give you a plan that has 200 megabytes. So it's not a lot. 200 megabytes. <laughs> not at all. For free every month. Hey. So who cares if it's not very much? It's for free. <laughs> yeah. I don't. It's a pay as you go beyond that. So I, I paid 50 bucks for this. They're now selling it. Uh, used models are 30 bucks. Um, so whatever, uh, but it has the, what they call their global SIM. And so it's 200 bucks a month for free wherever you are on earth. If it's in one of their 20 some countries that they support. And so right. I took this to Germany, Czech Republic and Poland this last summer and absolutely loved it. I happened to not because the device was, you know, whatever, any problem. It was just a little more convenient to also buy a, a SIM card for my phone. But I yeah. ended up using both of them because the SIM card I bought for the phone just, you know, didn't have as much data as this had. Uh, so anyway, it was it's just fantastic and uh, a great thing if you're a travel photographer. And I'll probably talk a little more about it on the Latitude podcast. But anyway, just a, a quick shout out for a Wi-Fi hotspot. And this particular one, like I said, uh, has a, a global SIM in it, which is really sweet. That's super cool. And and you said so the Freedom Pop is the con the company that you get the data through? Yes. So freedompop.com is the website. And so they are the, the service provider. They're the ones I'm paying. Uh, essentially, they piggyback on the T-Mobile network or the okay. uh, AT&T network. Uh, if you're overseas, it's um, also T-Mobile and whatever else, GSM, which is yeah. you know standard overseas. Awesome. So, so you're not having any troubles with finding connections then if you're on those services are, are the data rates comparable to a lot of other services? Yeah. Or? So it was, um, it was $40 for, I think it was uh four gigs worth of data. So $10, oh, $10 okay. a gig, yeah. which isn't terrible. No, so that's, and, that's pretty standard. Yeah. And so to have that be the rate whenever you're in Poland or Portugal, <laughs> Romania, Slovakia, Spain, and I'm just reading off their list here. Uh, and thankfully Croatia, because I have hopeful plans to go to Croatia later this summer. Um, it's, it's just wonderful to have, uh, instant, you know, I can Facebook message my wife just like if, if I'm at work here locally. So it's, it's just great. And, and is it a relatively fast Wi-Fi experience or, oh, yeah. or it, it's, it's, still it's just, you know, the 4g speed is pretty fast and it connects really well. Uh, I had, do have it limited. You can limit it to how many, uh, units can connect to it. I have it limited to five, but you know, uh, when I was over in Europe this summer, it was me and my father. So, you know, two, two devices, yeah. not a big deal. Um, so it was, yeah, it's, it's no problem that the speed is, is pretty good. Uh, the only, there was a little problem I did have with it. And that is 
more to do with my phone than the device. It's just the connecting is a little bit persnickety on the phone. Uh, my, okay. da- my dad had no problem. He's got a um, he's got an Android and my iPhone uh, thinks it's stuck up or something. Anyway, it, it didn't <laughs> it didn't connect all the time. But, uh, you know, fiddling with it for another 30 seconds or so usually worked. So, but at least using like a laptop or maybe an iPad, yeah, you, you can connect your problems. laptop, you connect your iPad, whatever for Wi-Fi. Absolutely. Dude, that is so cool. It's awesome. Awesome. And now you can well, buy Josh, it for 30 bucks oh. and you know, it doesn't cost you anything unless you go over that 200 megabytes, um, on, on a monthly basis. So, you know, when I'm not traveling, I'm not using it. It just sits in my bag or, you know, my computer bag. Uh, and when I need to use it, I'll just power it up and go to go away with it. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to have to look into that just because I mean, that's that's convenient one way or the other. If yeah. you're not being charged for it when you're not using it. Yeah. Um cuz a lot I know that a lot of these like wireless hotspots you're paying every month mm-hmm. and that's just yeah, unreasonable. I, I just couldn't get into that. So when I when I had saw this come across, I was like, "Perfect." And cuz I was like, I, "I'm going to Europe this summer." Perfect. <laughs> so I went and bought it and haven't it's, it's been great. Man, I told you earlier today that you're really good at spending my money and that's only <laughs> that, getting deeper in that hole. One of the things I do best, <laughs> spending other people's money. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Well, Josh, what's your doodad of this week? Well, so this is one that comes to mind simply because it's most recently I've become very appreciative of this particular doodad. Um, it's not exactly just a doodad either. It's kind of expensive. It's the Manfrotto 405 geared tripod head. Uh, it currently runs for about $460 on Amazon, um, which is, you know, for a tripod head, that's not cheap. Um, but I'll tell you how this came to mind. I'm training a new assistant to help me with some photo shoots, and she's fantastic, but doesn't have a good tripod or a, a tripod head. So I gave her my old one, which is a standard, simple aluminum <laughs> Manfrotto tripod with a very simple yeah. ball head that was perfect for my landscape photography or just kind of walking around occasionally. And I had to use that for the first year I was doing architecture and interiors. And as I watched her have to try to fuddle through that thing, trying to get precise vertical lines set up with a ball head, like that's really small and kind of cheap. Like <laughs> yeah. it's amazing how much having a geared tripod head that you can make minute adjustments to the exact vertical and horizontal angles of the, of the camera, how helpful that is when you're trying to do real estate or architectural photography. Um, I, I remember sitting there for like seven months thinking about spending the five, you know, the $500 on this uh, Manfrotto 405. And I looked back down and said, what the heck was I waiting for? I should have done it like the very first day. It's so worth it. It's a great head. It's a little bit pricey, but it's, um, they, they actually do make a, a junior version. It's called the Manfrotto 410 junior geared head. Uh, that one is about half the price, but you're, you're going to be frustrated with it a little more quickly and eventually end up getting the 405 anyway. So <laughs> I just suggest getting that one. Now, is this something that you're able to kind of loosen and move around freely or are you constantly using the geared movements with that? It's a great question. Yeah, it actually has two knobs um, that come out on each axis and there's an inner knob and an outer knob. And so the outer knob, you turn that and it loosens the whole gear up so that you can actually freely rotate around that axis. Um, And then you can use the smaller knob that's sort of on the interior to make those more minute adjustments. Um, and if, oh, okay. if I have any complaint about it, it's those knobs can get 
they're big, which is good because they can get a little sticky. Um, they can be hard to turn sometimes. Um, and occasionally it'll skip a gear and try to pop back into place. And it can be Ooh. deadly if your if your head's next to that <laughs> thing and it just pops. Also, it just I mean, pops and jumps at you. I mean, that the tripod head itself weighs like about eight or 10 pounds. It's heavy, mm. you know, wow. so it's also not, <laughs> not the kind of thing you want to take on a mile long hike. I promise you I've done it and you don't want to do it. <laughs> uh, knowing me, I, I would find a reason that I might want to carry something <laughs> like that around. Uh, I, I have an addiction to making things a lot heavier and harder on me to move around, but th th that's my own personal problem, I suppose. <laughs> so, so it's, it's just like a free moving and then you have like a, minor adjustment thing is there any kind of in between that where you can make macro adjustments um with the gears or is it just like as soon as you loosen it up then you're moving yeah freely? honestly you find that basically the two speeds are basically free and open and then the more finer adjustments they, they it's not so fine that you have to keep turning and turning and turning and turning to get it to move it's actually a pretty good medium it's it's right where you need it to be to make those fine adjustments without having feeling that you're going too far you know when you make the make a turn but again it's perfect if you have to have straight verticals and horizontals in your images and you're doing lots of them uh this is such a great investment that's awesome. Yeah, I, I could definitely see something like this being useful for doing lots of product photography as well, because there are times when you need to make really minute movements. And with that loose ball head, it's just it's not possible to make really subtle movements. It's a lot of fidgeting and moving around. So I think anybody that's in that kind of a situation is going to think that this would be a pretty valuable asset to have at its price point and weight. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fantastic with a macro lens. So if you're ever doing anything where you're trying to get some close-ups, you mentioned product photography, another excellent application for it. Awesome. Well, my doodad for this week is based on the second topic that I had. Um, it is just a 100 millimeter square glass ND filter. Um, the reason that I say glass is that they tend to be a bit more expensive, but you get what you pay for with these. Um, there are like plastic resin versions that really aren't too bad, but if you're going to be using this thing on a regular basis, it's worth going from the whatever, 16 to $20 that you're gonna spend for a resin version up to 60 to 130, depending on the price, or depending on the company is where the price sits. So the one that I currently use, I, I have a three stop and a six stop ND filter through a company called Zomi. I think that's how it's pronounced. It's Z-O-M-E-I. And they make a pretty solid glass filter. I don't know if it's my favorite. I've gotten to play with other people's Lee filters, and those ones are always pretty impressive. Um, however, one thing that I would say, if you're interested in trying this out, that it might actually be worth getting the plastic resin version first, because it's not a big investment to get into, and you can at least experiment around and see if it's something that's worthwhile. And in the time that you're doing that, you're going to get closer and closer to the date in which the company Breakthrough Photography, a company that makes fantastic filters, they, they make awesome filters, but Currently, their whole lineup are circular um, threaded filters, um, but I actually sent them an email earlier this week just to ask for you guys whether or not they have any plans in releasing solid square glass ND filters. Um, I had heard through Nick Page that they have a prototype out right now of a graduated glass ND filter, which is kind of some advanced technology going into that, something that you don't really see all that often. Um, 
but I've got, it got me wondering if they had any plans for having these regular solid ones. And from what they told me, they said that they're, they're not entirely settled on a price point yet, but they're going to have three, six, 10 and 15 stop filters released in the middle of this year. They don't have a specific date yet, but they said you can expect to see them around summertime. So I, just because I know that this company makes fantastic filters that in my opinion, I think they beat out Lee filters or anything else that I've messed around with. I would say get a resin one for now, play around with it until you've kind of gotten the hang of it and get that special glass square hundred millimeter ND filter through breakthrough photography. Cool. That sounds interesting. Have the, uh, the new, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Are those, uh, graduated neutral densities? Um, yeah, I don't have any experience with breakthrough, but I use sing rays and love using them, but a 15 stop, that would be a pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 15 stop is, I mean, 10 stop is a little bit overkill. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, I can see how doing stuff like Nick does where he's shooting these waterfalls that he wants to look very, if you want to make well, extra silky. Yeah, very, very, very silky. I can totally see that. But man, 15 stop. I yeah. I am sure that someone's going to find a way to put those to use. Yep. <laughs> well, I think that that's everything that we have to cover this week. And I want to thank you all for joining us for this week's episode. I think that Jim is back next week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, don't take my word on that because I don't know for sure. But I'm pretty sure that Jim will be back next week. So don't worry. You won't have to deal with me too much longer. Um, well, thank you guys very much again. And we will talk to you in another seven days. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye.